Well, good evening. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, unless Dennis wants to lead another song. Matthew chapter 5, and I appreciate you tolerating my uh, little snafu there. That's going to happen more than once while I'm here, I promise you that. Uh, But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes a rather famous comparison, and it's one that is going to set the tone for our lesson this evening as we consider... Uh, One of the questions that came from Jesus, one of the questions from the one with all the answers. So in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So in this passage, Jesus makes that famous comparison. He says, you are supposed to be like the salt of the earth, and you are supposed to be like The light of the world. And one of the things that I think we often do when we read that passage is we read those two comparisons and we think it's saying pretty much exactly the same thing, right? Christians are so supposed to be what? Salt and... Christians are supposed to be different is what I was going for, but it's okay. Christians are supposed to be different, right? That's what it means to be salt. That's what it means to be light. You are different. And that is... The general idea of both of those metaphors. But I think there's a little bit more to it that we ought to point out. Because I think if you pay careful attention, there is a difference between tasteless salt and hidden light. Isn't there? Think about that warning. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to be tasteless salt. And in my mind, what that means is, as a Christian, sometimes we go out into the world, we slap that label onto ourselves and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, yet if you really look at my life, it is not any different than the atheist who lives three doors down. And what is that? That's me saying I'm something, but really, I don't taste any different. I'm tasteless salt. I say I taste different, but really, at the end of the day, I add no flavor. There's nothing different about me. Despite what I claim. But the light metaphor is different than that. There's a difference between tasteless salt and hidden light. So if you think about the image that he says there, he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Think about that image there. The light hasn't been snuffed out. The light hasn't been dimmed. What has it been done? It's still burning. You just put a basket over it to hide The fact that it's burning. And so in my mind when I read this passage. I see two issues. There's a warning about tasteless salt. Which is a warning about how even when we claim to be different from the world. We still live like the world. But then there's the warning about basket covered light. Which is a warning about how sometimes we really are different from the world. But we're terrified for the world to see just how different we are. If you go to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, Jesus asks a question there. 
in Mark chapter 4, a question, and it's really in a context where he's dealing with the same issue. But he asks a question in Mark chapter 4 and verse 21 where he says this. He says, and he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? And so there in that, in, the, in that moment, Jesus asks a question to disciples who really are different, who really have been changed, who really are transformed, but they are tempted to conceal just how different they are. And he says, look, when you light a lamp, when you bring a lamp out and you light it, you don't, the next thing you do is not to put it under your bed or put it under a basket or cover up the light in some way. That's not what you do. You set it on a place where that light can shine everywhere in your house. He says, is a lamp put under a basket? And I think we ought to think about that image, the image of a burning lamp. Because the purpose of that lamp is to spread light and reveal truth. And I want you to appreciate that that is exactly what Jesus has done with you. You are salt of the earth, I hope. But you are lights of the world. That what has happened is Jesus has, through his gospel, through his salvation, through his spirit, he has lit you on fire. You are a candle going out into the world. You are a a floodlight meant to show the world the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, meant to shine that light everywhere you go. He has saved you and transformed you and changed you so that you can spread his truth in this world. And you are not meant to go under a basket. And so this question of Jesus. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? That question forces us to look at ourselves and look at our lives and ask an extremely important question to interrogate ourselves in an extremely important way. Am I really... Letting myself shine the way that I should? Am I covering up my light in any way? Or am I doing what Jesus made me to do? He saved me, He changed me, not just so that I could be saved myself, but so that I could be a light in this world. Am I shining the way that I should? And to answer that question, I think we ought to appreciate what Jesus says about himself in John 8 and verse 12. Remember what he says there. He says, I am the light of the world. And so he tells us, look, not only are you lights in the world, but I'm I'm the primary light. I'm the first light in this world. And so if we want to understand what it takes to shine the way that Jesus wants us to shine, then what we need to do is we need to look at our Lord and consider what he did. Consider the way he lived, the way he spoke, the things he said. And we need to strive in our own lives to shine the way that he shined. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes here is I want to show you the example of Jesus. And we're going to consider the things that he said and the way that he talked and the way that he lived, the way he shined his light. And so it can challenge us and convict us to take ourselves out from underneath our baskets First of all, I want you to consider what it says in Luke 9 
Luke chapter 9, go with me there. There are, there are six different little stories in Jesus' life that I want to read to you. And, and I want to read to you all these stories. This is very different than what I normally do. It's a lot of reading. But I just want you to get a sense for the way that Jesus spoke and the way that he talked, the way that he shined. And hopefully when we read these passages, it will give you a sense of what he was like. So we see, first of all, in... Oh, there we go. I told you every sermon... I want you to consider, first of all, that what we see in Luke 9 is that Jesus tells the truth. He always tells the truth, even when that truth is challenging. Read what he says in Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said to him, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. What you see in that passage is that Jesus is not afraid to be honest about what it really takes to be his disciple. He is not interested in his ministry, in artificially boosting his numbers. He's not just interested in having a bunch of groupies. He wants people who are really, truly devoted to him. And so when people come to him and he can see that they're not completely on board, he's honest with them. Even though it's challenging. Consider, consider this story as well. A few, a few uh, chapters over in Luke chapter 13. And we see here that Jesus not only tells the truth when the truth is challenging. But he tells the truth when the truth is difficult. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 13 verse 22. It says that he was passing through from one city and village to another. Teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves being thrown out. That's a difficult saying, isn't it? Here this person comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, I want to know the answer, which is very similar to what a lot of people ask today, although a little bit different. Lord, are there a lot of people who are going to be saved or are there just going to be a few that are going to be saved? And how does Jesus answer? He doesn't say, sure, that sounds nice. What does he say? He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate because the way is narrow. And there are few who are going to be saved. He knows, Jesus knows that Telling somebody a sugar-coated fairy tale doesn't do them any good. And he genuinely wants to help the lost. And so when somebody asks him, he tells the truth, even though that truth is difficult. He shines 
as the light of the world. If you turn over to Matthew 15, Matthew 15, we get another passage where Jesus tells us something difficult. He, we see in this passage that Jesus tells the truth even when the truth offends people. Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. This is an instance where Jesus and his disciples have been called out for eating with unwashed hands. And Jesus is trying to set the Pharisees straight about their wrong view of religion and doctrine. And so he says in verse 11, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but with what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And so here Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they've got it wrong. He, they need to understand that what defiles you is not eating with unwashed hands. What defiles you is what's going on inside of your heart that comes out in your actions. He is setting the record straight and helping them understand that they've got it wrong. And his disciples come up to him and say, whoa, 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 Jesus. You made him mad. Do you know you made him mad? Do you know you offended the Pharisees? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't back off. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have said that. Let me fix it. He says they're blind guides leading the blind. He knows that he needs to set the record straight. And he does not apologize for doing so. He wants to guide people into the truth. And so he tells the people the truth, even when the truth offends You know, look at those three points up there on the board. When it is challenging, when it's difficult, when it offends. How do you shine your light when you have an opportunity to share the truth in those moments? Are you willing to be honest with the people around you? I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes I'm tempted in those moments to to water down the truth, to sugarcoat the truth. To make it easier and, and less offensive. To make it less challenging or less difficult. How many of us would look at that guy in Luke chapter 9 and say, oh, oh, that's totally fine. Go bury your dad. I get it. How many of us, if somebody said, hey, I want to be a part of your church, it would say to them, hey, sometimes I don't have a place to sleep. I have nowhere to lay my head. It's going to be really hard. You, still, you sure you still want to join? Sometimes we water it down. We sugarcoat it instead of telling people the honest truth. Remember one time when I moved to Tampa, is that actually when I first moved to Tampa, I went to men's warehouse to buy a suit, actually two suits, because I only had one because I had I had I had had a problem. Anyway, that's another story. But the salesperson who was helping me out, he he asked me why I was buying a suit. And so I thought, hey, I just moved to town. This is a perfect opportunity to invite somebody to services. So I did my whole spiel. Hey, you're 20 minutes away, but you can make that drive on Sunday. Why don't you come up and visit us sometime? Come visit our church. Come hear me preach. I just moved here, and it's it's a great church family. They've been nice to me, and blah, 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 blah. I gave my great spiel. It was a great pitch. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, that sounds great, but I just got to know where do you talk about the bad stuff? And I'm like, bad stuff? What do you mean? He said, well, look, all the churches I go to, all they talk about is all the good stuff. All they talk about is love. All they talk about is forgiveness. And they don't talk about the stuff in the Bible that's hard. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about sin. And I sat there and I thought in my mind, here's a guy who knows that Christians aren't always as honest as their Christ. 
And we don't always shine the truth into our world as brightly as our Savior did. What do you do when you have an opportunity to share the truth with somebody? I want you to see this also. If you go to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, we see that Jesus isn't afraid to tell the truth even when that truth is taboo. He's not afraid to tell the truth even when the truth is taboo. And so in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Uh oh. Is that right? Matthew, I'm sorry, that's the wrong reference. Matthew chapter 12. I am so sorry. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Go to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. We see here Jesus has been wrangling with the Pharisees about, about the Sabbath day and his disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And it says here, departing from there, he went into their synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And I want you to appreciate that in that moment when Jesus makes that statement, he is taking on what may have been the most contentious religious issue in their time. You didn't mess with the Pharisees about the Sabbath and yet Jesus did because they had it wrong. And they needed to know the truth. I want you to see this one in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus here has just finished feeding the 5,000. And after he feeds the 5,000, he goes away by himself. He goes across the sea to the other side. And the multitudes, they chase him down because, because they want some more food. Not because they're really interested in spiritual things. And here Jesus shows us that he'll tell the truth even if it means driving people away. John chapter 6 and verse 22, the next day the crowd stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other small boat there except the one that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. And if you know how that story ends, you know that it ends with all of these multitudes of people, upwards of 5,000 Walking away and leaving Jesus with Jesus looking at his disciples and asking them, do you want to go away too? But even though Jesus drove the crowds away, he wasn't scared to tell the truth. Because he's not interested in having a bunch of hungry groupies. He wants people who are truly devoted to him. We won't read this because I'm getting a little worried about my time. But if you go to Matthew 26, that's the famous passage where he's being interrogated by the chief priest, by the council. And they're asking him if he really is the Messiah. And in that moment, all Jesus has to do is keep his mouth shut to preserve his life. But he stands there and he says, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the son of God. And that that costs him his life. 
And Joe, Jesus shines his light no matter what it costs him. Even though in that moment it costs him his life, he is willing to shine the truth in the world and tell people the way it really is. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, what do we do? What do we do when we have those opportunities to tell the truth? What do we do when we have that truth that we need to tell somebody, but we're scared it might drive them away? What do we do when we know we need to tell somebody the truth, but we're scared that if we do, they're going to reject us. They're going to make us pay. They're going to make us suffer there. It's going to cost us something if we do. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You need to shine. Now, of course, that does not mean that we go out with our sledgehammer and we start hitting people over the head and just telling them that they're all going to hell and condemning them. We don't need to be like the park bench preachers that just stand up on college university campuses and just say, hey, you're doing something right. That's that's not what we're saying. But it is saying that Jesus was never afraid to tell people what the truth was. And as Christians, those are the people we need to be to whatever it costs. Even if it's challenging or difficult, no matter if it's taboo in our culture, even if we're scared it's going to drive people away, we are lights in this world and we shine. That's what we do. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he looks at us and says, so are you. And then he asks the question, do you light a lamp and put it under a basket? Do you light your lamp and keep it concealed from the world? There's one other thing I wanted to say. and Man, I can't stand that I'm running out of time. I don't have time to say it. One of the other things that I think is amazing about Jesus, if you look at John chapter 4 when he talks to the woman at the well, it's not just that Jesus is willing to say challenging, difficult, taboo things that will drive people away. Jesus is also willing to make amazing promises. And that's something else that we need to learn from him. Remember what he says to the woman at the well? He who drinks the water that I give to him shall never thirst again. You know, we need to learn to talk to people like that too. That's part of shining into the world. Making promises to people and helping them see that in Christ, they can find things like the things that are promised in Isaiah 55, like me and Britt talked about a lot today. Come, you who are thirsty, right? And drink water and and eat bread and have milk milk and wine at no cost. Those are amazing promises of God. And I think sometimes when it comes to those amazing promises in Christ, we get a little bit scared to tell people that because they'll think we're weird. But we need to be willing to tell that truth, that Christ can give us something that will truly satisfy unlike anything else in the world can satisfy. Don't put that under a basket. I want you to think for a little bit as we bring this lesson to a close about the value of Christ-like Honesty. It's one of the funny things about the honesty of Christ and the way that he shined his light. And one of the funny things about why we don't shine our lights. I think one of the reasons we sometimes put a basket over ourselves is because we think we're being pragmatic. And we tell ourselves, look, if I'm honest, if I tell people what the truth is, if I make those promises like those Isaiah 55 promises, people are going to think I'm weird. Or if I'm really honest about something that is taboo or offensive or something that might hurt somebody's feelings, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what? I'm going to drive them away. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin their chances of, being, uh, of coming into the kingdom. 
We tell ourselves that brutal honesty and total transparency, we tell ourselves that shining like a light is going to ruin our cause. And it's kind of funny. If you look at the ministry of Jesus from a worldly perspective, then then you might think that that's actually the right perspective. Because from a worldly perspective, the ministry of Jesus did not go well when he was honest and he shined the way that he did. When Jesus was honest, he chased the crowds away. He irritated the powers that be. He discouraged potential followers. He got himself killed. And by the end of all of it, do you know how many disciples he had? 120. Depending on how, if if you think all the ones in Jerusalem in Acts 1 are the only disciples that are there. For a ministry that at one point had thousands and thousands and thousands, by the time Jesus is dead and has ascended back into heaven, Acts 1 tells us that in that upper room there are 120 people who are still his. It's not that much of a success, is it? And so maybe we look at that and we think, well, maybe, maybe Jesus should have been less honest. Maybe he shouldn't have shined so brightly. Maybe he shouldn't have been that honest. Maybe he should have put himself under a basket a little bit more. Or maybe he was totally right to be honest. And it turns out that there is extreme value, tremendous value in being honest like Christ was and shining the way he did. Let me let me give you four things, four very quick things that will help us see how important it is to be honest like Christ was. I want you to consider, first of all, that we should be honest like Christ was and we should shine the way that he shines because Honesty, honesty, total honesty, total transparency, that is loving. But dishonesty is always selfish. That's not really the way we package it, is it? When we want to put our light under a basket, kind of water down the truth, sugarcoat it, not really be honest about what the Bible says. What we do is we tell ourselves when we water down the word or we cover up the truth, what we're really doing is we're, we're trying to be kind because that would be a really hard thing for them to hear. They might be offended if they heard me say that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to water it down because I want to be nice. That's not nice. And it's not kind. The truth is when we do things like that, the only thing we're doing is we're being selfish and we're serving ourselves. That's a temptation for all of us to think that by not being as honest as Jesus was, that, that, that we're being nice to people. But the truth is what we're really doing is we're, we're keeping them from the truth that could change their lives and save their souls and rescue them from sin for the sake of avoiding a conflict, uh, going around a hard conversation, or keeping conflict or friendships in our lives. The truth is that when we are dishonest about what the Bible says... It is never an act of love for the lost. But it is always something we do to serve ourselves. Will you think about that the next time you have an opportunity to share the truth with somebody, but you're scared to do it because it might offend them? That does not help them. What it does is it helps you. I want you to see building off of that. That we are honest the way Christ is honest because true honesty leads to real transformation. The truth is the only way people are really going to change, the only way they're ever going to be able to be transformed by Jesus and by the Bible, by the message of the Holy Spirit, is if we tell them the truth. 
Understand that, that, that by the time Jesus ascended, by the time he had gone back to heaven, he did not have many followers who were still with him. But the people that he did have was not, again, it was not a ragtag group of, of, of just regular people who were just minimal, minimally, minimally devoted to him. The people who were with Jesus were true, devoted, dedicated disciples. They were people who were willing to say, I will leave father and mother if that's what it takes. They were people who were willing to do what the rich young ruler was not willing to do and give up everything if that's what Jesus required. They were true disciples because they had heard the truth and they had accepted it. And that's what Jesus' truth does. The only way to make real disciples is to shine your light and tell people the pure, unadulterated truth of God. And again, along that same line of thought, not only is truth the only way people are going to be transformed, but truth is the only way anyone's ever going to be saved. Remember what Jesus says in John John 8. If you're still in John, you can turn to John 8 and verse 31 and 32. Jesus says there, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Brothers and sisters, we need to appreciate that no one, no one ever was saved by a watered down, sugar coated gospel. No one ever. You need to understand that if you have someone in your life that you love, someone that you want to know Jesus, they are not going to be saved because you covered up hard things. To make sure you got them in the building or got them in the baptistry. You are not going to save your husband or your wife or your kids or your friend by hiding your light. Turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to consider what's written there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you know what that means? That means that as a preacher, Paul went about his work and he didn't, he wasn't crafty. He wasn't clever. He wasn't adulterating the word of God, which means adding things to it that weren't supposed to be there. He says, you know, the way that I preach, you know, the way that I save souls, it is by manifesting the truth of God. That's how you save someone. By telling them plain and simple what the Bible says about their lives, about what's required of them, and about the Savior that did everything to save them. I want you to consider this finally. That Christ-like honesty is valuable because it also makes you trustworthy. There's a wonderful little passage in, in John 14, and we often overlook it because we're focused on other things that are there. But I want you to appreciate something that happens there. John 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And I really like that line that Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Because you know what Jesus is? He's the guy that always tells you 
what you need to hear, no matter how hard it is to hear. And so he looks at his disciples and says, look, I am the kind of guy that always tells you the truth. And so you can bank on it that if I tell you I am not going to leave you an orphan, I am not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come back and get you and take you to heaven with me. You know that I would tell you if I weren't going to do that. And because he had been honest throughout his entire ministry. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, his disciples could take that to the bank because Jesus always, always told the truth. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, that we are called to be lights in this world. We've been lit on fire by Jesus. We have been saved and changed and transformed by the truth of his gospel. And it is our job, our mission To make sure that we never put that light under a basket. But that we, being wise as serpents and innocent as doves, go out into this world and shine the light of the gospel to everybody that we meet. And we let God handle all the results of what comes next. Thank you very much.